Hello and welcome to the first episode of a new series called Media Will Eat Itself, a podcast that showcases the people behind modern content creation, exploring the fuzzy boundaries between shifting skill sets and traditional expectation. Each week we'll talk about loads of media skills with a special guest. Topics will include videography, podcasting, editing, copywriting, design, photography, branding and so much more. It's a media show about media people and I'm your host, Sean Weston. Today, we're discussing the ins and outs of writing your first book with Duenna Blomstrom, someone I've known for a few years in the world of financial technology and banking. Duenna's first book is coming out in April 2018, so I thought it would be a good time to catch up for a chat to find out what went through her head other than a few thousand words. Uh, So we hooked up on Skype, had a great conversation, and we came out with a few nuggets of insight and wisdom that I hope you'll find very useful. So um, I'm Joanna Blomstrom. I am the creator and author of Emotional Banking, um, and I work have worked in technology for the last 22 years. All right, you're going to have to have to explain now what is emotional banking, and and also what is fintech. Good, very good questions. Um, one of them is even better than the other one. Um, fintech, to my mind, is um, anything in technology at the intersection of technology and finance. So essentially, any type of software, hardware, systems, people that are needed to make financial services work. And emotional banking um, is quite far from that definition, but to, um, to, to, uh, the, to, to my mind is a collection of methods that will make fintech better by making it uh, people um, up to scratch in terms of technology and ways of work. And that's your niche, isn't it? That's what you specialize in in this industry. Right. So I came up with this concept um, a few years ago while I was working in um, another technology company um, and I realized that it's needed. So I've, I've just created this niche, which is essentially um, a, the, the bit that looks at the culture of a bank and how that can affect uh, the way that they are able to adopt technology. Yeah, it's kind of a, the human side that, that a lot of big businesses sort of forget about, right? Right, it's the people and not tech side. It's the it's the fluffy side, if you wish, the flowery fluffy side. And I get a lot of <laughs> that, to be honest. Yeah, and, and kind of what I want to really talk about is this big step that you've made into writing a book about this very subject, and it's your first book, isn't it? Yes, it's my first book. I'm, many many times while writing it, I thought this is not only my first book; this is my absolute last book. Never again. <laughs> Yes, it's my first book, but I'm not so sure it's my last book anymore. Okay. Oh, oh so you've, it, while you were in the process, it felt uh, painful, but now right. that you've had time to reflect and think about it, you you know, maybe there's another idea you might want to explore, that sort of thing. I, I just have a new idea, and I wonder if it's going to become nagging enough that I will have to put it in a book or not. Okay. Uh, my publisher thinks it's a good idea, so it's already slightly, um, they're slightly interested, so that's kind of um, encouraging. Well, but, that's yeah. always a good start, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but it, while I was writing it, um, yes, I have to admit, it was so painful that many times I just wanted it out. <laughs> All right, well, tell me about those pain points. Can you, Can you describe any of them? So what happened is I came up with this idea um, a few years ago. The reason I wanted to put it in a book is because I kept writing on this blog and I had like disparate sets of explanations in various publications about what it is. And then I realized that it's um, a lot more than just a few articles and it's worth um, putting context around them and explaining to people, one, what was my experience in, in the industry and how I arrived at that. So it's a little bit of a personal account of how I've seen the industry grow. 
And then it jumps into why I think the industry needs fixing so that it can think about people's feelings and become and have banks become brands. So I wanted to have that explanation. It, it, a blog wouldn't have fitted. So we, we need, it needed a book. Um, but you said, why was it painful? Codes for so many reasons. First off, writing a book while you're in full-time employment is uh, slightly challenging, to put it mildly. Yeah, and with a family as well. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. and with a family, with, with a young family. So what, what I had envisioned at first, and I'll be very honest with you, was I will simply put together my blog posts, um, just kind of glue them together a little bit, send them to a publisher, and they will make a book out of it. That doesn't, it's not the case. That is not at all the case. In particular, because I found, so early on, I sat down, I put all of my blogs on a Word document, and I organized them by by categories and topics and how well they would serve various ideas. And then I proceeded to not be able to go um, after that methodology, which I thought was every morning, you got to get into a routine. You wake up at a ridiculous o'clock, which I still do, and I did for the duration of the book, between 4.30 and, and 5.30 every morning. And then um, come rain or shine, you pick one of your blogs and you make a chapter out of it. I thought that's how we're going to go around this. Mm-hmm. Except I realized that reading my own writing about the topic seemed to take as long, if not longer, than rewriting what I meant with that. Oh, why is that? I am not sure. It's um, it, 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 and also my ideas had evolved, and I would have had to rewrite so much of it that I found the first two or three blog things that I I read to be important in the context. But so much more was coming out of me as I was reading them that um, there are some of the blogs actually like as a as a, as a facsimile. It's a yeah, yeah so, so you had some of your thoughts and ideas had moved on. So can you tell me right. how far back you went then with the, the first blogs? Are we talking a couple of years? Are we talking longer? I can't actually answer that because the book is structured in explaining what fintech is, mm-hmm. the way I saw it. Yeah. Then it goes into um, kind of talking about essentially what is emotional banking and you know what is a brand and why change culture. And then it goes into the method. So the entire part that's about the method was completely unwritten, of course. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty fun to write. And the fun thing is I actually wrote that bit first. Um, and I realized that I really enjoy it. I love it. That is the most amazing bit. When you get into that writing um, haze when you are on a wave and you're really just pouring out of your fingers. And you don't that, want any interruptions. You know, you can You're in a flow. You're in. You're in sort of a mindset, aren't you? you? Know, yeah, well, that's amazing. It's almost like I, I hear that from programming as well. Like you, you know, when you get into the zone for like an hour or two and you you you, you do your best work. And that was fun. However, rereading a blog, structuring ideas, editing content was not fun. So, <laughs> so uh, to kind of keep myself even through the process, I, I would say a good eighty percent of the book is. Really them from scratch maybe 70 well that's a lot that's a lot and you got that guidance did you did you come to that conclusion yourself first or did you get some feedback from your publisher or an editor the, um, my editor is amazing and they're a really big publishing house mm-hmm. uh, Palgrave Macmillan so they're a really well-known editor they're not a corner shop with that said they're rather new to the topic everyone is um, and I could see by how whenever they would suggest any edit they and I wasn't very sure that we were on the same page and they got what I meant. Uh, and you'd know how that is because I sound all over the place and it's hard <laughs> to make me clear. I would never say such a thing. <laughs> so, but they, they never, um, they never really had edits towards kind of where the content should go. 
they did ask me several times. They, they helped me structurally from the beginning. They they wouldn't even kind of accept a book proposal until they felt it was structured correctly. I made one big change over um, for the structure, sent it to them, and they were all on board. I you know I didn't get a lot of guidance to be honest with you because it's nobody else wrote a book about culture in banking before, so they they didn't have a lot to refer to. But with that said, kind of the the way it evolves as you write it is. In my mind, I remember the morning when it clicked in terms of structure. That's why I made a big change. Yeah, and that's um, the one thing that that's the one thing that they could guide you on, wasn't it? The actual structure of how to get a book off the ground, regardless of content. Probably, or mm. or at least maybe if they could have warned me that it takes. Um, to my mind, what it takes number one is a lot of discipline. So if you don't have put in place this kind of schedule, draconic of wake up and sit in front of a keyboard. Um, you're not going to get it out the door. But what they did help immensely with is I had an immensely tight deadline. So mm. I can't remember when I started working with them, but I think I signed around June, I would like to say. I can't remember for sure. I got the deal around June, and they had to have it by the end of December. Wow. And and did it feel exciting, frightening, or a little bit of both to have that deadline? Both. Both. But- no, nothing exciting about it. it was just something new. But I'm glad. I'm glad it was there. I don't. I, you know, if they said here, take your time, send it back to us when you can, I would have never finished. Yeah, yeah. And I guess a lot of people have that because I've read statistics where um, people give up on a book more than finish the book. So many people start a book and never ever finish it. It's not a pleasant process. A lot of the times, uh, some bits are very much fun. So again, that hour or two when you really write, really put it out, that's fun. But those are the smaller bits of it. Because what you don't know as a new author, for instance, what struck me the most is once you're done, even once you're done, right, which is, again, not an easy thing. Once you're done, you send it to them. And then another bit of work starts that I knew nothing of, where you have to come up with uh, references for every word. You have to show annotations. You have to have an index. You have to have uh, permissions for every word and every picture in the book. Yeah, it, There's an amount of administration in writing a book that I had no clue about that can take you weeks to yeah. put together. Yeah, the Harvard referencing uh, style right. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No one ever tells you that, do they? No. No one ever tells you, yeah. So let me go back just a step before you actually signed up with these with these amazing publishers. Obviously, they've been really good for you. Before you got to that, did you consider self-publishing or not? I considered it, and then I decided against it. Why? Because I, I felt like it wasn't giving me enough of a platform. Like, okay, let's be honest here. I am a woman in the industry, which is, hasn't been incredibly easy. Um, I am jumping in between technologies of doing things and thinking things between technology and cultural transformation, which is a very mm, challenging place to be. Um, And and the the topic of the book has never been touched before. It's a brand new conversation. It's all about fluffy feelings, things. The last thing I needed was for me to self-publish it in a corner or for some unknown person to kind of put it in a brown paperback yeah and and no no one will ever see it kind of thing yeah right it's just i didn't feel like the brand for for a novel of course you just want to get the book out but for something that you have a a need to put in front of many people you have to have as high of a publisher profile as you can get i think and and also i i guess uh, in the financial industry books are strong currency still in terms of marketing 
Right. Yeah. To clear that out, you know, I didn't think about this a lot, but I got um, a call from a BBC interviewer the other day, and I was saying to um, a group of friends called um, the FinTech Mafia that they wanted to market me as the first woman to have written a book in FinTech, which is not true. Um, so I asked them for examples real quick. They gave me a few examples. That uh, And I, I looked into them. There are some books that um, in, in the finance point of view and there are some books about coming out now about blockchain and bitcoin and stuff but if you stop to think about it books that really did well are chris's brett's dave birch's and you know kind of that's almost an exhaustive list yeah, i mean it hasn't yeah. been there hasn't been a big fintech book no that really took off for a while i've had a look myself and and there's an awful lot of foreign language books have you noticed that so in yeah. fintech you find uh, non-english uh, books which i i, I found quite unusual I think that makes sense. I think that that's people, local people feeling like they probably can't really join in the bigger conversation and finding a, an easier outlet, getting a publisher to publish them. Oh, that, in their that's language. an interesting perspective. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm interviewing you because you have. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk. Let's talk about personal branding. OK, so and, and the importance of it. I mean, you're someone who has written many, many blogs. You run your own blog and then you've taken this step to uh, write your first book and you're active on social media so let's talk about personal branding and how important it is in your industry but in general as well right i think that that's a broad question but to give you a little bit of history of how i ended up in that situation i feel like my i, I never took um a decision i'm going to become a public persona and this is how i work at it it's never been that it's been a lot more organic and accidental so um, I started on social media as the voice of Maniga to a degree, or just kind of to get in contact with people on, on the company I was, I was working for behalf, right? Yeah. Except as a, as a company and as a young marketeer and someone that wants to make a brand in B2B for, for, for our industry, there was no reason for me to be speaking from the brand's perspective. Then nobody would have listened to that. It had to have a human a face, a, a, a real voice on it. Mm. So that's why I even opened my my Twitter account. It was to create the brand of the company, right? To get in contact with the right people. At that time, the conversation on Twitter, I kid you not, may have had 20 people in it. Right. Um, so there was sort of kind of maybe 100 profiles on Twitter were fintech profiles, but 20 people were in a conversation. Okay. Um, so it was really quiet, really clear. You could literally tell what events there were by just looking at those 20 people and understanding a hashtag, getting in a conversation with them. Now, becoming known to them was a thing because these people were busy. They, you know, they had tens of hundreds. No, they had hundreds of followers, not more than that. Uh, but once they remarked that there is something, there's some value there, they would be friendly. They would guide you. I remember um, as a as someone breaking into the industry, a conversation with Bradley Lamer over a Skype, yeah, yeah. Um, which kind of shook my world. I still believe in some of the things we kind of arrived at together in terms of technology back then um so i you know I, I got in contact with all these people they became really close friends over the years 
and and that's kind of how it started what what got me in the conversation but then i realized that that's a very open conversation people could literally just join it in fact part of my uh, cultural transformation method is based on that which is it's called the build a voice program and it's asking bankers to get involved in that conversation because it's a it's it's a good one it's an addictive one these days it's a very um hard to navigate one because it's now flooded with newcomers and it's where many years later fintech is supposedly a hot topic so you have now probably thousands of people in a conversation on, about fintech on on the same hashtags instead of the 20 hundred that i yeah made. so it's, it's moved away from that perhaps an echo chamber into what? yeah yeah it's spilled over so more people are understanding it and wanting to be a part of that community Right. And some of them are really valuable and some of them are just noise. And for people that are new now, it's it, I feel it's like a lot harder to make a name on Twitter just because, one, they start with five followers. And that's a problem as compared to, you know, the, the few thousand that some others have or a few mm-hmm. tens of thousands that us all timers have. Um, so they have less of a platform to begin with. Secondly, they, they are forced to do a lot of kind of retweeting and just kind of I, 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 I can give you the name of it, but it's not very elegant. So um, putting that type of stuff out there is completely worthless. I mean, a retweet from from Bradley Lamer back in the day was because he found something and we all read it. A retweet from some other people today is completely worthless and it's spam. Hmm. So unless people on Twitter understand, new people on Twitter understand that they need to produce their own content. They need to be creators of a, an opinion, of a point of view. And the easiest way to get that out is through a blog, then they won't be able to continue or I don't think they will they'll make much of a splash. Right. And, and you're, we're saying that Twitter is still very important in this in this conversation as well, aren't we? Right. I would say that Twitter is still one of the, one of the big channels. I think LinkedIn is coming up the ranks. I remember a time when nobody would even talk about LinkedIn. I mean, it was just, I mean, I, I'm so old, LinkedIn didn't mean anything. It was just a place where you put your data. There was no conversation. There were no groups. There was no posting, nothing. Yeah. Um, it's taking a little bit of, but I think it's going to take the same turn, which is soon enough, unless people are actually making the content, just channeling something without even putting a word next to it is not going to be good enough. Mm. Yeah. And LinkedIn is changing as well, isn't it? Because it, it felt like it was, um, I don't know, a recruitment platform you know, for HR people. But it, it, I think it's recognized that it perhaps fell down that hole a little bit and needed to be a little bit more of a community driver. And I've heard that they're going to change groups. So groups becomes better. And it's not just... Um, uh, empty news channels because that's what it feels like you go in a group now and you're a member of this group of maybe a hundred thousand people but it's the same old people posting the same old rubbish or trying to get you to go to their events or or, or that sort of thing so social media has to kind of improve to help us personally brand our messages i guess Right. I wonder if they're going to be able to really turn groups around. I wonder if it's not a little bit too late for them to do that. To be honest with you, I think they did an amazing job to even rebrand themselves as a content channel. Right? They weren't. They didn't quite exist. It wasn't until they had to battle Medium that mm. they realized, unless we put something out there that makes it incredibly easy to write, um, it's not going to happen. And then this kind of um, your daily feed with the posts and the news and the retweets and stuff, that's the newer bit, right? Well, I but didn't it, think they could do that, and they've managed to, haven't they? So maybe they well, could turn groups around. That would be necessary, mm. I think. I mean, you and I have been on the internet, and many of the people listening to this would have been on the internet long enough to remember um, news groups and to remember uh, MIRC and uh, conversations in bulletin boards and, and live journal and 
you know, kind of where the conversation really was. And you had these forums, right? I still miss forums. There's nothing really replaced forums, right? <laughs> you had the forums where you had the real conversation. I don't know if there are any around anymore. I don't, I'm not sure. But the conversation seems to have moved between um, Twitter, maybe Reddit for the newer generation, uh, not for us all this. But I don't think that Reddit and uh, Snapchat and so are are necessarily kind of uh, lending themselves to a professional environment. So, to my mind, it still stays between LinkedIn and Twitter. If you if you're looking for a place to brand yourself professionally and not personally. Yeah, I mean there is Quora as well, isn't there? You know that sort of answering people's questions. So you're becoming an expert right. in in your field by answering other people's queries. I mean I, I've heard that that's quite a good platform as well. Um, all right, let's get a bit lighter to end with. So I want to go back to to your writing structure and how you really approach this book. And you said you got up at 4.30 in the morning. I mean, that's that's crazy early. Is that because the rest of your day was just going to be mega packed? Um, yes, because if you write a book while you're in full-time employment, um, you, you need that. Also because um, I felt like that's the one time in the day. I'm, I'm, it's much easier for me to do stuff in the morning um, than it is to do stuff very late at night. Well, that was my next it's question. Just, I was going to I was going to ask if you experimented. Did you experiment with doing an early try. morning? And and you know, were different ideas coming out, or did you get most of your um, ideas and and your uh, discipline uh, by over breakfast? Yeah. No, I just realized very early on that it, one of the other, I have to decide on either really late at night or really early in the morning. It had to be wild child and hopefully dog and everyone else. Was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it had to be one of the two. And really late at night, it felt um, like I really would be too, too beat down to attempt it even. Um, so I would wake up. I didn't need to wake up at 4.30, but I would use, I would do, I would force myself through half an hour of uh, breathing, yoga and meditation first. which well, Getting in the frame of mind. Yeah. Just because it, it really clears up your thoughts uh-huh. um, for, for a second. And then I would sit in front of the computer. And honestly, I've had days, and I said this to everyone, it's much more important to just do the routine than it is to really write. So I've had many days in which I would be in complete writer's block. And the temptation is, why don't I just sleep in? Or why don't I go back to bed? Or why don't I go into the office earlier? But realistically, unless you sit there, you read through something, and it's going to come to you, or it's not, but at least you have still have the discipline and the routine, which is the backbone of getting this thing done yeah and did you have a soundtrack uh, did you have the radio on in the background or are you a silent writer it's a good i didn't even think about that until now i guess i am a silent writer i guess it has to be slightly quiet yeah because i've 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 i listened to podcast last week i can't remember who it was and she said she had uh, when she was writing she would sit down and she would do three or four thousand words a day and she would play the same music from beginning to end so she had a soundtrack to her writing yeah. Maybe that would have been helpful. Then again, uh, to me, it was a lot more about control that everyone is still sleeping and yeah. everyone is still right in the world and I can just do this thing. So, yeah. Well, it's fantastic. So tell me about the tools that you used as well. Were you on a little MacBook? Did you have, uh, were you in the smallest room in the house? What, what was the you know, environment I have, I have like? Office. I have, I'm very fortunate. I have a proper big, I've always had a really big home office. So with a great view and the right light and I, it's all pretty decorated and so on. Um, so that's, that's very helpful. Uh, tools wise, I, I thought I was convinced I can only write this um, on my Mac. However, um, my, the, I took a new job in between finishing the book. And in this new job, they uh, insisted that I, I go to client meetings with Adele. 
Um, and I was completely against it at first. I was looking at this thing with such disdain and it's horrible. <laughs> I don't touch. I don't know how to use any windows. I can't do this. And at first, I had about a week in which I didn't write at all because I, I would be traveling with only the other uh, machine and think, well, I don't have my machine. I don't have my home. Yeah. I can't do this. But realistically, then I realized that I'm missing on deadlines uh, or my own deadlines, my internal deadlines. By the way, I should say this, and it's important for anyone wanting to write one. Get a Trello board. A Trello, a yeah, yeah. And organize this thing as if it's a project that you got to get through. Like this chapter, it's still in writing, it's got to get to done. So when I realized that I'm falling back, I started just once or twice trying to write on the, on the Dell. And I found it surprisingly pleasant to write on. Uh-huh. Those keys were a lot nicer to touch than my Mac. I can't believe I say that in front of my <laughs> Mac. I hope it doesn't miss it. Um, the only thing I didn't change is I found... Um, ages ago, when I signed the contract for the book, and when I got the deal, I found online um, a, a, a Mac or not, not a, a laptop cover. That's a Ted Baker laptop cover, and uh, I put any machine that I'm writing on on top of that cover before I start writing. Right. It has a typewriter on it. It's really pretty. It has like a really old school typewriter on it. Yeah. Um, and it just makes me feel more writery than I really. Oh, that's am. nice. Yeah, I like that. That's a nice anecdote. So getting in the right frame of mind and. Uh... Uh, I also um, think it's important to um, find out from you whether you worked in the cloud or whether you saved locally. Very very good point. Very good point. Um, I used to save everything locally and in a very horrible fashion until I realized that um, I will need to work on the other machine as well. I will be traveling. The book won't wait for me to be doing this job. And also it's unsafe to have them on one machine. So uh, the entire book is in Google Docs. Right, yes. And you, you, do, you don't have that fear because, you know, I've spoken to people who are very mistrusting of, of the cloud. They think someone's going to kind of break into the account and steal. Yeah, and, and suddenly your half of your book comes out next week without you knowing it. You know, it's that kind of thing. Oh, okay. I didn't even know it hasn't occurred to me. I don't. I'm one, I'm rather data permissive, I'm afraid, um, in general. And two, I do trust the cloud very much. Me too, yeah. The, I just, it's its so immensely convenient. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I didn't even change it from the location those chapters were in, the final chapters. That is a link I sent to my publisher, and that's how we got this book published. Yeah. I mean, the, the nightmare that it would have been to do it any other way, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. No, that's really good, actually. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Really good to know also that a publisher will, will accept that. Because, you know, I, I guess some first-time book writers may be thinking, oh, I'm going to have to find uh, a printer I'm going to have to staple this all together and put it in a binder with my name on it. I'm going to have to post it to myself to make sure I've got the copyright. <laughs> Does all of that still happen, I wonder? I guess not. I don't think so. I don't. I doubt it. I mean, they would have to then get it in a digital format themselves. How would they do that? Yeah, 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 exactly. How they did it before the cloud. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you know what? This has been absolutely delightful talking to you. How, how do people find you? Let's uh, let's find out how people find you. So sure, I mean, I'm I'm probably slightly the, the easiest person to find online. Um, DuennaBlomstrom.com, EmotionalBanking.com, um, and the, there's a link to the book on both those sites. You can I, people can get it from Amazon or they can get it directly from the publisher, which is probably nicer to the publisher. Amazon has enough money already. Yeah, I think um, so. <laughs> and anywhere out there, and in particular at Duena Blomstrom on Twitter. If anyone gets in touch who's listened to this podcast, I'm more than happy to extend the twenty 
20% off discount for them. Oh, that's lovely. What, what a nice gesture. And I'm going to put some links in the description cool. as well so people know exactly where to go that they can do that. So thank you so much. And I'm going to leave you now. So you're you're practically on your your junket, aren't you? Your press junket. It's, you're, you're like a little bit like someone or some of these stars from Marvel where they go to the hotel and we all get half an hour with you. Because you're, <laughs> I'm on a little bit of a press tour, yes. Because <laughs> you, you're doing lots of promotion for this book at the moment, aren't you? Yes, I'm very fortunate that I know the industry and people kind of know me enough that they're interested to hear about it. That's brilliant because with or without my book, um, my game is not only to sell a book. My my hope is that I can literally change an industry with this book. So, yeah, the more people that hear about it, the more people that think about culture, the better for everyone. So that was Duena Blomstrom. It's hard not to pick up on her passion and enthusiasm for what she does, and it's one of the things I love about her. I can't wait to read her new book, which is called Emotional Banking, and I'm leaving lots of links in the description to this episode so you can find out about it too. If you've had fun listening, feel free to rate the show on iTunes or leave comments in whatever podcast player you use. I look forward to the next episode already. See you soon.